So we're going to um, have a kind of a Bible study this morning, <clears throat> or we're going to start out that way. We're in uh, Psalm 32, and uh, thanks to Nathan for finding that and making some editorial corrections on it. Uh, this is a very powerful psalm and one that we want to take to heart this morning. So we can read briefly through it, and then we'll go back and discuss it. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you, watch over you. Do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. So this is a very uh, positive, upbeat psalm, but it's classified as two different ways. It's classified as a psalm of thanksgiving, but it's also classified as a penitential psalm, a psalm for repentance. Now I want us to look at a couple of structural things. It's a psalm of David, and it says it's a moskil. A moskil um, means that it is a psalm for teaching. That's what it means. It means what is taught it is there to instruct. And in verse 8, he even tells you, I will instruct you, it's the same word, and teach you in the way you should go. And so this psalm, David is saying, I want to instruct you, inform you, let you know about certain things. Well, what is it that he's trying to teach us in this psalm? Well, there's a little word, selah, at the end of verse Four, verse 5 and verse 7. This little word, selah, it means to pause. It means to take time to think about, to meditate on. It's the equivalent of the Gospel of John when Jesus teaches and he says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, he's wanting to teach us, when he says that, some new a depth of understanding about the nature and character of God and our relationship with Him. So Jesus says, truly, truly, this is the truth. I want you to stop and think about this because this is a new and fresh revelation. And this is something that will help us to know better how to walk with God. Well, this little word, selah, it means to stop and think about what just went before it. This is what He wants us to stop and meditate on, to think about. So, what is he trying to teach us? Verse 4, he's talking about unconfessed sin. 
What are the consequences of unconfessed sin? Verse 5, he's telling us, contrasting to that, what happens when we confess our sins. And then verse 7, he's talking about God being the answer to all. He is our hiding place, our security. And we're going to go back and talk about each one of those. There are different ways you can translate or you can uh, divide this psalm up according to literary things and all of that. But this is how the ones who brought the canon together, the scriptures and put them together in this form, these are the three things they thought were highlights of the instructive part of this psalm. And these are the three things that David is wanting us, wanting to help us understand. And so then it becomes a much more powerful psalm when we stop and take time, not just to read, but think about, meditate, put it in our hearts, and then try to live out in our daily experience. And so that's what that is for. It's to help us know how to, to best get the meat out of this particular psalm. So as he does that, he's wanting us to, first of all, it starts off with a blessing. And the blessing is the first two verses, and then from then on starts the instruction. So the blessing is for those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. There's no deception. There's no lying to yourself or anybody else. So this blessing comes to those whose... Is got three major words. There's a, a, about 20 different words for sin. The three are the ones that are most often used throughout the Old Testament. All three of them are mentioned in this psalm. Sins, transgressions, iniquities. Um, sin is you've got a goal that you're trying to meet and you've missed it. Or it's like an archery term. You've got the bullseye there and you shot your arrow and it wasn't anywhere close. <laughs> so you've missed it. That's sin. Transgression is there is a line drawn, a clear line. This is the will of God and you have broken it. You've crossed over that. Not in a good way. Um, you've entered into where he said we should not go. We've participated in what we have been warned against participation in. And then iniquity is just wickedness. It's, it has to do with intent and motive. And it's an a, um, essential corruption from within. And he uses all three in this psalm. And so he's talking about our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities. And he says, we are blessed if these things are forgiven and covered. So... That is salvation, isn't it? The empty tomb means because of the blood of Christ and the power of his resurrection, our sins are forgiven. That's what salvation means. And because of that, we can be in proper relationship to the God who created us and created us to have communion and fellowship with him, made in his image and likeness. So the communion and community can take place. So he says, then the teaching part, 
unconfessed sin, verses 3 and 4. And this is one of the things that he wants us to think about. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And he wants us to think about that. He's saying that God's hand was heavy upon him. God, the Holy Spirit, was convicting him of sin, and he didn't like it. None of us like that. We're not supposed to like it. So we have a bit of, a, of an issue here because he's just said that the person is blessed whose sins have been forgiven. But then we come to the New Testament as well as the Old and he tells us that there is nothing hidden. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14 God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether good or evil. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5 He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. That's a pretty scary thing. Psalm 90, verse 8. This is a prayer of Moses. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Hebrews 4 tells us that there, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides even the soul from the spirit, the joints from the marrow. And he says that there is nothing hidden before him. Everything is laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 and 27, talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests, Do not be afraid of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I say to you in the darkness, speak in the light. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. So Jesus is saying when God speaks to us in our hearts, it's not just for us. We are to proclaim that. When he is leading us into new truth, we are to share it with others who are also seeking and wanting to know that truth. And he says, don't be afraid. There isn't anything that's covered that's not going to be revealed. Well, how does that fit in with this Psalm of David? Nothing is hidden. Well, it depends on who's doing the hiding and what the reason is, doesn't it? Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. They're covered because he's confessed and repented. The problem comes, verses 3 and 4, which is what David is wanting us to think about, unconfessed sin. Not acknowledging that we are sinners and our only hope is Jesus Christ. That's where the sin comes. That's where the difficulty arises. Because we can never cover that up. People around us see it all the time. They see the effects of that in our life, in our attitudes, in our relationships, how we live our lives. They see it. It's an open testimony to everyone around us what is in our heart and what is motivating us because it affects our attitude and that affects our actions. So he's saying that um, we have an opportunity. 
we can come and confess our sins before God, repenting of them, allowing Him to work, or, or asking Him to work in our hearts to change us from deep within. And that's why Jesus died. That's why the Holy Spirit has come. So He changes us within. So He's calling upon us to open our hearts before God. Transparency. The politicians like that word, but they never do it. That's why the country is in the shape that it's in. If we looked in the motives of their hearts, we would all be very much afraid. Good news is our security isn't in them. It's in the hope and the promise of Jesus Christ through God. So he's saying the problem comes in that we try to cover up our sin. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden. First thing they, uh, they understood was that they had sinned. They were alienated from one another. They were alienated from God. And the first thing they tried to do was cover that up. Cover that up between themselves. Cover it up between them and God. And then they started the name, the, the blame game. When God confronts them with their sin, what do they do? Yes, I sinned, but it wasn't my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And that's a lie. Because it is our fault. So we try to cover it up. Um, Genesis talks about Adam and Eve using fig leaves. Isaiah talks about people trying to cover their deeds with cobwebs. And both of those are ridiculous. They're ineffective. And it doesn't accomplish what we want it to do. Cover our sin. And it never does. So we need to come before the Lord with openness and transparent transparency. When we do that, an amazing thing takes place. Even after judgment had been passed upon the earth itself, created beings, and upon Adam and Eve, even after these judgment of God had come, God himself provided a covering for Adam and Eve. And he provides a covering for us. It's his righteousness is our covering. And we receive that by grace when Christ begins to dwell in our hearts. So blessed is he whose transgressions, sins, iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. But they're covered in a different way now. They're covered by God and not by ourselves. So in the second section, he's going to contrast what happened to him in verses 3 and 4 with what happened in verses 5, 6, and 7. I kept silent, and I was wasting away inside. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, I was dying inside. That's what he's saying here in verses 3 and 4. These are the consequences of sin, not only in the things that we see around us, but the things that we see within ourselves. So in verse 5, there's a shift. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, to God, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah, think about that. I confessed my sins to God and didn't cover it up. 
I came before God and said, Lord, this is who I am. This is what I am. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And the miracle, the good news, this is the gospel in Psalms right here. God forgave the guilt of my sin, set me free. Washed, cleansed, redeemed. So he found out that you can't run from God and you can't hide because everything, as he's told us, is open to the one to whom we must give an account. And so we don't hide or cover our sin. And this is going to be repeated in scriptures quite a few times. Um, Proverbs 10 verse 12 is going to make a, a strong statement here. And this psalm, uh, this proverb, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Now, by saying that, he's not saying it just washes over it as if nothing happened. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about confession and repentance. Uh, he's going to say it again in chapter 17 of Proverbs, verse 9. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. This is why the New Testament is so strong against people who gossip and spread rumors, because it causes division and strife and stirs up hatred, and people pick up other people's sins for themselves and carry offenses that had nothing to do with them at all, but they're happy to carry the offense. So people find that they're hurting and fighting and struggling and they don't even know why. They just know that they're supposed to do that. <laughs> this proverb is quoted twice in the New Testament in James chapter 5 verse 20 and 1 Peter 4 verse 8. Love covers over a multitude of sin. And again, it's this love that he's speaking about here in Psalm 32. This is the blessing of transgressions forgiven and sins being covered. Blessed is the one whose sin God does not count against him. Why? Because he has placed it on his son and he has paid the penalty for our sin. So it's not counted against us because he counted it against Christ on our behalf, yours and mine. And then he gets to this very strong beautiful statement in verse 7. Well, we can start with verse 6. Um, so we've thought about what happens when we try to cover our sin, found out that it's impossible. Then we're shown what happens when we confess and repent of our sin. The grace of God is given to us. And then he says in verse 6, Therefore, because of what we've seen here, let everyone who is godly pray to you, to God. This is addressed to God. Verse 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. 
This is, again, very much um, strongly attested to in the Scripture. Psalm 139, 1 through 12 tells us that God is present. We can go to the highest heights or the deepest depths. We can go into hell itself, but God is still there. We find out that um, Amos says that he uses that as a, a, almost as a warning of coming judgment because the presence of God is inescapable. He knows where we are. He knows who we are. He knows what we've done, who we've been with, where we live. He knows all of those things. Adam tried to run from God and found out that he couldn't. Jonah tried to find, tried to run away from God's presence and found out he couldn't. And there are many people who try to run from God. And their consistent experience is what David found. Where can I go from your presence? And the answer is nowhere. So as he's telling us, pray to the Lord while he may be found. This is Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. And I think this is where Isaiah got it because um, they had these things written down and they used them. They referred back to the law many times. All the prophets were referring back to the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, particularly Genesis and Deuteronomy. Uh, Heavily upon that is where the content of most of the prophets comes. Jesus himself quotes from them often. So Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. That's part of the seeking. Forsaking his way. And the evil man his thoughts. It's a change in behavior, a change in thinking and motivation. Let him turn to the Lord. So you're turning away from those things. What are you turning to? You're turning away from sin back to God. And he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. God doesn't think like we do, and he doesn't walk in the way that we walk. And so he's inviting us to change our ways, to come before him and allow him to guide us and direct us in the way that we should go. And to understand the will of the Lord and what his thoughts are about. He's longing to reveal those to us. So therefore, let everyone who is godly, anybody who is wanting to seek after God. uh, This is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be open. Ask and God will give it to you. Now that's not a thing to, to spend on our desires for luxury and ease and it's not that kind of stuff he's talking about uh, and when we try to apply that to I would like a oh, I'd like a million I'd like to win the lottery I'd like you know I'm asking God for stuff like that that's not what that's not what he's talking about he's talking about your soul about your relationship with God about what life is all about direction and purpose and meaning so seek the Lord So those who are godly pray, while you may be found, surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. And that's a reference back to Noah's flood. The waters came because of a judgment of God. Because the earth had become so corrupt before God, so sinful and so degraded, 
that God said his heart was filled with sorrow and he determined to wipe them all out. But even in the midst of that judgment, grace is found uh, through Noah and his family. So surely when the judgment of God comes, it will not reach you. Why? Verse 7 is it. You, God, are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. Think about that. God is the only place that we can hide and find security and peace and grace. You are my hiding place. And so we're covered by God. There's a beautiful verse in um, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is when Moses is giving his last public witness to the Hebrew community before Moses climbs up Mount Pisgah and dies. And so it's his farewell discourse. And right at the end, he pronounces a blessing on the people of God. It's a blessing that he, um, like the patriarchs did, they blessed those people. And... Psalm 31, let me get to Psalm 31 first, then we'll go back to Deuteronomy. Psalm 31, verse 20. Where is God hiding us if God is our hiding place? In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from the intrigues of men. In your dwelling, you keep them safe from accusing tongues. So in the presence of the Lord is where we are hidden. We are hidden in him. And as Moses was giving the blessing to um, the different tribes in Deuteronomy 23, he comes to the tribe of Benjamin. That's the last born son of Jacob and the second son of Rachel, his favorite wife. And this is, um, Benjamin means son of my right hand, the position of power and strength and blessing and privilege. And so he says, chapter 33 verse 12 of Deuteronomy about Benjamin he said let the beloved of the Lord dwell secure in him for he covers him all day long and the one the Lord loves dwells between his shoulders covered by God you are my dwelling place he covers me surrounds me with songs of deliverance John 15 He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. And John 15 talks about abiding in the vine, dwelling in Him, His presence providing for us inner strength, inner source, inner health. And He's saying that to His closest disciples in the upper room just before He died. I am the vine, you are the branches. And so he talks about dwelling in him and God, uh, us dwelling in God and God dwelling within us. And he reminds them, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. We're covered by his presence. You remember Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem um, just before he entered on Palm Sunday. He's on the Mount, um, Mount of Olives outside. 
the hill there. You're looking down into Jerusalem. And from that vantage point, you can look right down into the temple courts. And so you can see the holy place. Um, you can see the outer court. And then the, tabernacle, the uh, temple itself is there. And you're looking right down into the courtyard. And Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and he says, How often I long to gather you under my wings as a, as a hen covers her chicks. And if you've ever been in a yard where the chickens are running and the, um, the hawk, chicken hawk comes flying by, the mama chicken runs out there and covers her wings and all the little baby chicks run there for security and safety and protection. Let the beloved of the Lord dwell secure in him. He covers him, shields him, protects him. The one the Lord loves dwells between his shoulders, picks us up and carries us. And so that's what he's offering, isn't it? You are my hiding place. Enter in to the presence of the Lord. That is the blessing. We are blessed because sins are forgiven and in Instead of being covered by our sin, we're covered by the presence of God who loves us and cares for us. It's a pretty secure place. Paul puts it this way, if God be for us, who can be against us? And he lists all that long list of things. And it covers every area of our life, doesn't it? And he says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So God covers our sin. He graciously blots it out. And he covers it so that we can be in his presence with grace and truth. And then he's going to share that with other people. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. He's going to care for us, to provide for us, to protect us. And then he gives a warning. This is for us. Don't be like the horse or mule. They don't have any understanding and you've got to put a bit in there and bridle to make them do what you want them to do. And then he gives this final understanding here. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. And then he invites us to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, be glad you righteous, seeing all you are upright in heart. In 1 John chapter 1, we've got the apostle writing to the churches. And this is what he says, starting with verse 3. He's talking about having seen the presence of the Lord. Personal testimony from John's part. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. That's koinonia, that you can share, participate in this blessing, this vision. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So He's saying, I'm telling you this so that you can have fellowship with us Participation with us because we are in participation with God through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you 
God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So when you cover something up, you're wanting to hide it. And you usually don't hide it in the light. You hide it in the dark. God is light. There is no darkness in him. He's not hiding anything. If we claim to have fellowship, participation with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth because God's light and there's no darkness in him. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's with each other and with God. And you cannot have the one without the other. You cannot be walking in fellowship with God and not be in fellowship with other people because you're in darkness there. You can't be in fellowship with other people and not be right with God because there are hidden things and manipulations and mixed motives. And it's impossible to walk in integrity with one another if we're not walking with God. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us, cleanses, covers us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's Psalm 32, isn't it? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the gift of God. And so Psalm 32, it begins with a blessing. It ends with rejoicing. In the middle is confession, repentance, and cleansing. It's a gift of God. God covering our sin, blessing us with His presence. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that You've chosen to speak to us words of hope and promise and security. Especially in the days in which we live, we see the events of things that are finding are taking place around us. And the temptation is to fear and to doubt, temptations for confusion. Thank you for the understanding that as we come into your presence, all the confusion goes away. And as we come into the light of your grace, we find the darkness going away, swallowed up, done away with by the light. And so it's with rejoicing, with thanksgiving, with praise unto you. Because you've chosen that all who come to you, freely confessing and repenting, you receive and cleanse and forgive and cover them with the light of your presence. And we can dwell secure in you. Thank you for your son who came to make that clear and to make it a reality in our hearts. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who applies the blood of Christ to us and gives us the enablement to will and to do, to be and to act all that you have for us.
And so we rejoice now in the name and the presence in the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So um, children will be being brought in here shortly for communion. So again, we ask the parents to, to meet them at the back. We have uh, communion every Sunday in our church, as you all know. It's for the purpose of reminding ourselves what Christ has done for us. For our need, reminding ourselves of our need for the cleansing and the, and the forgiveness. Um, for the promise of his presence that purifies and cleanses and enables us. And uh, we have open communion, so everyone is welcome at this table. So this table's not for, for, for perfect people, otherwise none of us could participate. It's for imperfect people who are seeking to walk with the Lord. And by his grace and favor, we are invited to participate in what God himself is doing in our midst. And so this is why Jesus spoke with his disciples in that upper room. Our sins are covered because the price has been paid. Our sins are forgiven and cleansed because there is a cleansing that we could not accomplish for ourselves. Because the clear teaching of Scripture is the soul that sins, it will die. That's what Jesus, that's what God told him in Genesis from the very beginning. The wages of sin is death, and we've all experienced that. But the gift of God is greater than the penalty. And so James tells us mercy triumphs over judgment. So God invites us to come into his presence for cleansing and forgiveness, for filling and enablement. And so Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks to God, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, each of you take from this, this is my body and it is broken for you. After supper, he took the cup and after giving thanks, and it's a remarkable thing, this whole thing about sacrifice and death and life and resurrection, the context is great thang thanksgiving and praise and rejoicing. After he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, Each of you drink from this cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. And so we're washed by the blood of Christ cleansed, purged, emptied out so that the Holy Spirit can come and fill us with his presence, with his grace, with his strength, with everything that we need to live in this present sinful world. And it carries the hope and the promise of life everlasting. And so he invites us to come. Will those serving communion please come forward?